Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Hello and welcome to The Word Podcast. I'm David Hepworth and I'm joined this week by... Mark Allen And... Andrew Harrison. Welcome, gentlemen. Um, if you hear the sound of young Islington, it's because we've got the door open to, yeah. uh, to let a little bit of air on. The kids you know. have just been let out of school. <laughs> and they're heading this way, yes. up the fire escape. <laughs> Chaps! Put that back! Yeah, go on. I was, list- <laughs> I was reading... Um, the, uh, the the memoirs of uh, Hunter Davis, the uh-huh. um, the novelist, biographer of the Beatles, football writer, bon viveur, sound chap, uh, and he's kind of known pretty much everybody throughout a long life. Uh, and he was he was writing about the day of the funeral of the Princess of Wales at Westminster Abbey. But it's particularly cross because the football wasn't on that day because it'd been <laughs> swept aside for this footling state occasion, which his wife wanted to watch. And uh, and they were sitting watching it and saw all the famous people trooping into the Abbey, obviously the royal family and uh, senior members of the government, and Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks <laughs> and Steven Spielberg and, and Elton John and all this. Uh, but he was very struck by the fact that when Elton John made his way to the piano... His wife said, what's he going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> the bitch is back. Because his wife... Oh, no, no, that's, that's really funny. <laughs> I'm still standing. Nobody else is. They're gone. Because his wife, the novelist Margaret Foster, who didn't exist in the same kind of hothouse world of entertainment as A, the Princess of Wales, and B, Hunter Davis, yeah. kind of knew that Elton John was famous, but she didn't know... That he sang. That's brilliant. Didn't know what he did for a living. He didn't know what he'd done <laughs> to be to famous. And she said, oh my God, he's going to play the piano. It's going to be so embarrassing. Totally it's, like, yeah. it's a friend of hers that's going to play the piano. Of course, she was pleasantly surprised when scales. You know, he turns out this very polished performance of Candle in the Wind. And anyway, I just wanted to tell that story because it's one of my favourite I went stories. to that event. I went to that funeral. No, I went to that funeral with my kids and my wife and uh, I rang up my father, my late father, who's an uh, acting member of the, of the Anglican Church, very out of touch with both pop and rock. I rang up, I said, Daddy, you watching this thing on the, on the, on the television? He said, I'm enjoying the service very much until an awful fat man sported it all by the piano. And I me, an awful fat man. <laughs> I said, that's Elton John, for goodness sake. <laughs> Mark's anyway, dad so is James Mason, of yes, course. Is, no, you know, yes, not a lot of people know that. Yes, it's a, a well-kept secret in the world yes. of entertainment. We're going to have to do this, you know, at some future podcast. This whole question of uh, 
of what mums and dads and aunts and uncles say about pop music because it's yes. it's a rich scene. Oh, yeah. What was that bizarre business about some elderly relative of yours, Andrew, who'd been to see the Beatles or something back in the cavern? Yet? Elderly relative? That's my mother, Dad. No, you said it wasn't. I didn't say elderly relatives. My, no, my, my mother used to go see the Beatles all the time, and Beatles all the time in the cavern, and my nan used to say, I don't know why you want to go down there. It's just a dirty old cellar that smells of wee. <laughs> uh, we always thought that Brian Epstein should have called his book A Cellar Full of Wee. A Cellar Full of Wee. Yes. Very good. Um, but no, uh, my nan used to work with George Harrison's mother, I believe, at Ben Rose's, which is a printer's. And they all used to say, oh, it's terrible. He, uh, her, her son's, he's joined a band. You know, it? <laughs> no. Like, it's the modern-day equivalent of saying, he's become a heroine. Yeah, that's you know? right. Yeah. Then, oh, oh, George is in a band. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear oh, that. I'm so but sad. this all changed one day when she came in with a, a, a big boot full of £5 notes. This is, oh, George sent me this from Hamburg. And they all went, immediately changed their minds. What a lovely lad. Looks after his mother. Sent, sent well, a boot full of five. send uh, just a box of cash. It was, <laughs> a, it was a boot. That's fair. An actual boot. An actual boot. So anyway, going back to Hunter um, Hunter Davis and his wife not recognising what this famous person did is is a not quite smooth link into the into the issue that, that fascinates me, which is this business of ever had a conversation with a famous person unaware that they were a famous person. And I'm going to start with my example. It's not the most exalted one, but it still rankles with me. I, um, when I was working on whistle tests many, many years ago, sort of 20 years ago or whatever, I went to New York. To, we went to make a film about U2, and they were playing at the Meadowlands. They were, you know, was it the war was the album they had out yeah. there, and they were just starting to be utterly huge. And uh, we arrived in New York on a Friday night, probably about 10 o'clock, and, uh, you know, long flight, jet lag, so forth. Went straight to the immensely expensive hotel where you two were staying. And Mike Appleton, the producer, and I went into the bar, and there at a table were various people that Mike recognised, Paul McGuinness, manager, and the PR, and so forth. And it was a very, very dark bar, this. He said in his (laughs) defence... In my defence, a very dark bar. Yeah. And sat down there, and all you can think about, you've got off a plane, you've come a long way, you've got into this, gone through immigration, the sound of young people. <laughs> yeah, 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 throwing a street car. Somebody's emceeing in the, in the car park. This is great. That's, come on, the, Dave. that's the education centre across the way, actually. They're teaching street dance. Yeah. Excellent. On your council tax. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Educational <laughs> rap music. Anyway, dark bar, all you can think about, long flight, Give me a drink. You know, that's mainly a major preoccupation. Don't look at me like that, like a real... No, 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 we've all been It was there. a long time ago. I've been like that now, actually, but carry on, yeah. And, <laughs> and you're talking to various people around there, and this guy on my right starts talking to me, and I talk back, a little bit of banter, and then I say, and, and what do you do? And he said, I'm the bass player. It was Adam Clayton of the group. Who you were about to interview, presumably. Yeah. I was about to... to um, that's cool. You know, so I mean, it, it only goes to you know bear out the uh, you know how sound were the smash hits were to uh, to characterise you two many years ago as uh, 
Bobo the Hedge, yeah. Larry Mullen Jr. And, and the other one. Uh, and the other one. It's like you know, the, 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 the Prince of Wales. Right? Hello, and what yeah. do you do? Have, you, know? have you come far? Yes, I'm the bass player. Yeah. Have you been doing it long? Have you ever done this, Andrew? I, I, well, I went, I, went to a, I went to a rave in the early 90s. went to a rave in uh, uh, um, Cable Street, I believe, in, in, a, in a warehouse. Back in the days when there were real ra- warehouse raves. And I just I finished it. I believe it's a bit of a giveaway. Yeah, you know, that? back hey, in the day, yeah. Wild and crazy. I know. Um, and I just I finished university and moved to London, and it was all very exciting. And um, I ran into this girl at this rave who I so half recognised. Oh, God, I know her, and I can't remember where I know her from. I'm going to busk it. I'm going, hey, hey, how are you doing? And she goes, oh, I'm, uh, I'm okay. How are you? I said, oh, great, just moved to London. Is it exciting? Yes, yes, it's very, very exciting. So um, are you working then? I said, you know, because, of course, early 90s, jobs were not, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes, yes, I'm uh, working quite hard, working very hard indeed, actually. Oh, it's great, glad to hear it. And at the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I know who she is. She used to book Must the... have been at school together. Uh, yeah, I, I thought, I'm sure she used to book the bands at Leeds University. I recognise yeah. her. She's little. She's kind of, you know, looks a bit weird kind of thing. I mean, that's on. And I'm sort of like, hey, it's great to see you. <laughs> She'll get together for a drink. Wow, isn't London exciting, aren't Raves brilliant? Anyway, see you later. Off I go. And my mate goes, so how, how do you know Bjork then? Ah! <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. It's one of those things, you know, when you see somebody and it's either you know them but not well or you've seen them on the telly and you have to make a oh, snap decision. Right. About what oh, you? yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, so you never met her? No, I've never met her at all. No, you no, just no, seen her on the telly and I, you thought I, she I was thought, a nice old waitress. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That's the fact good. she was wearing a swan wrapped round her. Did that not at any point raise an eyebrow? You think Mark, nobody I went Mark, to school with. It was a rave. Everybody a rave. was wearing Everyone swans. Was wearing Everybody swans. was wearing stupid <laughs> clothes. Sorry. Everybody had two warm up looks <laughs> on their head. It's what the way you dressed her. But there's an apocryphal That's a really interesting. But there's, there's an apocryphal tale um, which concerns um, from years ago, and it, it, it's some great British writer. I can't remember who it is. Let's say, for argument's sake, let's say um, George Orwell or whatever. He's at a, this actually happened. It may not have involved George Orwell. He's at a party. He meets some girl who he kind of knows, and he tries to do what I do. He's like, oh, I know you. How are you doing? I'm very well. What are you up to? Oh, I've been doing a bit of this and that, a bit of travelling, and he just thinks this is going great. She doesn't know. She can't remember who I am, but. She's, you know, she's being polite, and I can't remember who she is. Keeps going, and eventually makes the uh, the classic mistake of saying, "So, how's, uh, how's how's your dad? What's he up to?" And she goes, "Oh, he's he's well, he's he's still king." Oh! <laughs> <laughs> well, very polite, Paul king. Very Paul very king. Very, king. <laughs> no, got the king. <laughs> the king, yeah. as he got said. Well, oh, very very polite of her not to say, he's still king. "Get out of my way." And, uh, by the way, off, off with his head. Yeah, he still rules. Yep. Yeah. Have you got one of these? I'm, I'm really. I'm, I'm, my nearest I got to was sitting in the Mud Club. Do you remember the Mud Club in New York? I went over to interview the B-52s in 1980, with whom I was absolutely in love. And after the show, and after the interview, went to the Mud Club, because I thought that was the place you had to go. And just sat talking to a very, very strange uh, woman in a, with a German accent. who It was pitch dark. And uh, who really was very... I can't even begin to impersonate her, but she was peculiar. And I think may have been on some sort of medication. And at six o'clock I can see in the where morning, this is going, Yeah, actually. at six o'clock in the morning, the light suddenly went up. And you know how horrendous everything looks anyway? You know, the kind of horrible, glaring, blinking neon, horrible, shiny bar and pool. Yeah, yeah. I've been talking to the... Uh, it sounds unkind to say that, but a slightly enlarged version of, of the, the beautiful Nico. Oh, really? So I've been talking to her about 20 minutes. Family you know, who made no sense until she's now a fun-sized... Yeah. Uh, Revision of her former self, so that gave me a bit of a turn. But other, apart from that, I think it was the only just the other day, actually, with you, Dave. Did we meet Janet Ellis, former. Well, this. Bur- I, bur- can, bur- am bur- I bur- telling bur- this story or are you telling this well, story? Well, I remember so we met Janet Ellis. Ellis. Away. No, we met Janet <laughs> Ellis, that's right, and we were chatting away with her. And standing behind her is a very, very lissom, very tall, 
to devastatingly attractive girl I took to be her daughter. Do you remember? I think at one point I completely ignored her daughter. She, she said, do you know Sophie? Didn't she? Oh, good, very nice Sophie. Yeah, anyway, you went back to... And it was Sophie Ellis Baxter, wasn't it? Which is appalling, really. It is. It, I'm it ashamed. Is with the two and of you were standing behind it going, no, no, no. You were four people and you were pretending you knew them all. And the only one you didn't know, the only one you didn't recognise was the famous one. The famous and that's the weird thing. It's fair Jenna to say. Is oh, Matthew no. Wright. Oh, Matthew Wright. Right. Oh, and sad. John Leach, who's, who's uh, Janet Ellis' husband, oh, who's the kind of link in there, and the only one, Bosh and you were doing your fantastically sociable act, which you do, you know, <laughs> spreading yourself absolutely equally over the area. And I'm thinking, he hasn't twigged who that fourth one is over it's, there. It's fair to say that Sophie Alice Baxter is not the most unrecognisable person this either. She's pretty she's, distinct. But she, yeah, she's kind of, she, really? looks, she looks like a it's special effect. It's not the interest in the I've got to I was, walking down, I was walking down Stoke News in High Street a while ago and ran into a mate with somebody who, uh, who I knew and started talking to the other bloke. Oh, God, I know you. And it turned to be Gaz Top. Gaz Top? Yeah. Was, he said, no, he said, you don't know me. You've just seen me on the telly. I get that quite a lot. Oh, People who think, think they know me. Gaz Top He's very nice, actually. One of the very few people ever to, to adopt the, the, the haircuts pioneered by the alarm. Very few people actually took that on as a good idea. Do you what the Welsh mullet? Yeah, it's the Topford. You had a yeah Welsh mullet. It was a, it yeah. was a, it was a dead end in tonsorial terms. It was. It, you know, it, it was never country. going anywhere. Still yeah. big in country. I suppose you're possible. I suppose yeah, you're possibly, it's the big old mullet. So th- this whole scene, I'm really interested in this idea of uh, thinking you know people because you've seen them on the telly a lot. I used to go to Granada TV many many years ago, um, plug in records. And you'd be wandering down the corridor, and you'd just be passed by technicians and people working for you know Granada News or whatever. Yeah. And then somebody would go past, and you think, I know them. Of course, it's Ken Barlow. Yeah. You know, yeah. These people who are literally as familiar yeah. to you as the people family. you as the yeah. people you work with or your own yeah. family. Yeah. So it must happen to them yeah. absolutely all over. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're just stuck with this face, aren't they? I'm sure, absolutely everybody relates. I'm sure that you, you are a famous, and we do have famous listeners. Hello, famous listeners. I'm sure, looking at it from the other side, the must, their world must be full of people going, hello, oh, hang on, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Half recognise them, going, oh, it's that, oh, no, it isn't. Well, look, David Lyndon is in the unlikely event is listening, who lives around the corner from me, I do that to him all the time. Walk down the street and see Des Lyman. And you just immediately go into, you know, just you think he's your old uncle, don't you? And what does he say? Does he say He's very sweet, because obviously he must get it all the time because he's so famous. He yeah. has that, that very nice way of yeah, dealing with it. Just yeah. gives you The best version of that I ever dealt with is an old friend of mine who went up to, to Larry Hagman, the absolute height <laughs> of Dallas, you know, and he went up to him and uh, knowing it was Larry Hagman. Larry Hagman's response was to get, I'm just shaking hands today. Which and is, he it's a brilliant response. It's yeah. really good. It's it means so a, clever. It if means you called me tomorrow, I might have asked you out for dinner. No, 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 it doesn't. It means, did you read the piece about Paul McCartney in The New Yorker? Where recently, I've heard where he goes to Zilly's, the fish restaurant, uh, with McCartney, and yeah. then walks back to the office. And he's amazed that Paul McCartney does this. You know, yeah. American writer particularly. Yeah, yeah. There's no muscle around or yeah. anything like that. He just walks down whatever street it is in Soho. And on the way back, they're accosted by somebody who wants pictures taken and so forth. And eventually, they kind of get into trouble. He gets stuck. And the mistake McCartney says he made is, is if you stop once, you're in trouble. Yeah. Whereas you've got to do something Sorry. that allows you to stay on the move while giving people a little glimmer, as the Rolling Stones yeah. talk. Yeah. So you can shake hands as you're walking past people. As soon as you stop yeah. and you sign an autograph, you sign one, get the golden yeah. rule is you've got to sign 50. 
It's because people well, then go, yeah. look, there's Paul McCartney outside, he's signing because autographs. It's really rude, yeah. It's this why Macker has developed that, that V sign thing that he always does. He always does the peace sign, which nobody in the world does anymore. Possibly. Is that what he does? He just goes, hey, yeah, I'm giving you a peace sign, but I'm still walking. I can remember interviewing Rod Stewart in Italy, and uh, in Milan. He was absolutely at the top of his tree, and, and, and he would... He would uh, my career, oh, his game? Or his game, his tree. So his game, not his tree. And I remember walking out the hotel with him, and, and he said, uh, got to get the old rock star apparatus on. And he, by that, he just simply meant that he would produce a pair of Ray-Bans and peel them onto his head. Yeah. And I thought it was absolutely brilliant, because his device was, if you're wearing Ray-Bans, you don't no, have no, to no, make contact with anybody. Yeah. So you can walk, you're not being rude if you yeah. walk through a crowd, because you may not be looking at them. Yeah. It's like Van Morrison. You see Van Morrison walking up and down the Hermit of Holland Park because he had a hill up there. A hill, sorry, up the, the Holland Park Hill. He, 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 he Is this the tree with the hill? The tree with the hill and the house that whatever. And he, his whole thing was to talk into a mobile. But, he, he walked down the street barking into a mobile. Which is probably standard, nobody at all. It, no, it's yeah. standard operating procedure yeah. in Hollywood nowadays. You know, your Paris Hiltons and Lindsay Lohans or whatever. They, if they're anywhere in public, they're supposedly on a phone. Yeah. Just to avoid a conversation with anybody. Yeah, it's a really you're walking down a red carpet now. You're 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 above the level of where you're stopping to talk to photographers. You're actually just talking to somebody else. You know, you're you're above it. But it's coverage. It, it's weird this this whole business of autographs because somebody told me that they'd seen McCartney is seen quite often in Soho because um, he's got a flat at the top of the you know the, yeah, yeah. the office building in Soho Square. And um, <laughs> the mate of mine told me that he'd 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 come out. He'd been he'd seen McCartney coming out one day. And a bunch of people were out on the pavement. Can I take a picture, Paul? You know, oh. you and me. Yes. Takes a picture. And then the following day he was out there as well. And Paul McCartney came out. And the guy had the picture and wanted Paul McCartney to autograph it. You it's, can't like, it's like the encounter is never yeah. over. Oh, yeah. you know I mean? And it's, it's, it must be so bloody draining oh, if you're no. in that kind of position. Because there is just something mm. about seeing somebody giving autographs. That every, even if you have no interest in the autograph, you sort of think, there's a queue I ought to get on the end of oh, it. Yeah. It's like rationing, isn't oh, it? Yeah, Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Did I tell you what George Martin told me about Paul McCartney the other day? I interviewed George, George Martin, and he was telling me a story about how McCartney sends the Martin family uh, top-of-the-range Fortnum Mason hamper every Christmas, right? It's, these are massively expensive items. They're over £1,000. And every year they open it up. I'm very excited to think that maybe this is the year he's it. left no this is the end he's left the meat and fish products in there but no he actually <laughs> it's just such a lovely idea George Martin is crying with laughter he says you open it up she says, all it's got inside is some cranberry sauce and a large collection of biscuits yeah. because what happens is McCartney's gone through and taken out the yeah. pheasant the ham the turkey the, the chicken the jugged hair yeah. Yeah. yeah and then the smoked salmon the smoked oh, salmon but it's, it doesn't seem to help really because these are animals that have already surely turned their toes up yeah. they? you're they're not, not going to come back to life get them back on their feet yeah. good vector and have that back on his feet in 10 minutes, etc. Shall I tell you the best fan encounter story that I know, which is involved Bruce Springsteen on tour? Go on then. In <laughs> you, you know how much Andrew enjoys stories about uh, Bruce Springsteen, David. He's on tour in the 80s and he's in Chicago in the middle of a tour and he has a night off and he decides he wants to go to the movies. Mm-hmm. And he does. And he finds himself sitting there in the corner and, and a young couple come and sit near yes. him. And at the end of the film, the they, you know, lights go up and they go, bloody hell, it's Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> and, uh, and they you know, engage him in conversation and he's, you know, come on. Yeah. Lovely nice and so forth. And, and, they, and they go, 
wow, this, we met Bruce Springsteen at the movies. Nobody will believe us. You know, my brother's the world's biggest Bruce Springsteen fan, and my dad really likes you as well, and they just simply won't believe us. And he said, where do you live? No. Yes. They lived not that far away. There he is today. He went home with them. Fantastic. So they wander back into the house. There's dad in front of the TV watching the game and brother and so forth. And they just wander in. You know, they don't even look up. You know, stand and think, how was the movie? Oh, it was all right. Anything happened? Yeah, have you met Bruce (laughs) Springer? Which yeah. is absolutely yeah. fantastic. And then at three o'clock in the morning, the author was going, where will Bruce Springsteen yes, go I home? I thought he'd never go. Yeah, Don't tell him we've got a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. At least he so, looks like a rock star. You know, that story about that bottom Van Morrison's managers, talking about Van Morrison turning up. And somebody opened the door to Van Morrison, who sits there with his flat cap, and he said, we didn't order the cab till half past three, mate. He's sitting the car fucking way. That would have gone down really well. Oh, God, yeah. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Now, can we talk about George Michael and his piano? Must we? <laughs> Actually, I don't even know this story. I'm sorry, what has he done? Was it only well, I'm gone sorry, and done I keep returning to this story because it gets more ludicrous. He's your white whale, whale isn't he? He is yeah. your white whale. You... Is it John Lennon piano? George Michael, I a few years ago, buys. I've played that piano with George Michael. George yeah. Michael pays a fortune for the piano on which John Lennon wrote Imagine. Yeah, okay. correct. Not the white one, another one. All right. Keeps it in his office for years, sitting around do- getting dusted, you know. Paid a, paid a fortune for it. He did, over a million pounds. And then he and his partner, Kenny Goss, decided, and I think Kenny Goss is in the gallery business or something like this. Yeah. Decides that what they're going to do because George wakes up every morning worried about world peace. You know, leaps straight out of his pit. <laughs> yeah. What can I do yeah. today to solve <laughs> Palestine and Israel, terrible Kurds in northern Iraq, yeah. God, the Falun Gong, you yeah. know. Crikey, I'm never going to have time to write any songs. But <laughs> I know what I'll do. <laughs> I know yeah. what we'll do to draw people's attention to the need for peace. Yes. We'll send the piano on tour to places associated with particular acts of violence. Right? And so that's what's been that going on. going to last ten minutes. Can you see what this is? <laughs> Can you see what this picture is? Again, very podcast friendly. Home. There is the piano yeah. outside. I don't know if anybody recognised that. That's the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee, which is where Martin Luther King was assassinated on that balcony. I think it's now the Civil Rights Museum or whatever. They've sent this piano round the world this is like to have off. its pictures taken yeah. in these locations. This is like something off Brass Eye. Precisely. It's too I, stupid for Brass Eye. Absolutely loose. I keep coming back to this. What's the other re- place? I was reading an account about it this weekend, but and wouldn't you know there's some kind of artist and, uh, and book publisher involved, and they want to take pictures of it in all these locations... And then they're going to put them together into a special book, which they think is going to sell millions of copies. Do you so think it is, Andrew? It's not going to sell one to me. <laughs> so it's it's places less where, than where there's known to be strife and torment. Is that right? Is that well, doing? as soon as they heard about the appalling massacre at Virginia University of Virginia not long ago, yeah. you know, where that sent them a piano. They Off sent, goes the piano. They sent them a piano. Now, how, how a bit do you of a feel up. if you're in one of these places? You know, you've gone through this appalling 
experienced. And some clown thousands of miles away is sending you a bloody piano. There was a bit of a dust up at Loftus Road when Queen's Park Rangers were playing Port Vale Reach. Does that mean they're gonna, you're going to get down the piano there? The fucking piano's going to be sitting outside. Is that, is that the <laughs> Or roll out the barrel for peace. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Or chopsticks fiddling. Ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also. It's dreadful. It is dreadful. And I was just sorry, I have to keep it's, it I have to get it off my chest regularly. You should have a regular George Michael moment in each pocket, like we had the hoary old anecdote. Shouldn't yeah. there be a sort of. Michael bashing and sort I, of minutes. Can, can I can I sign up for that? Story? Yes, I thought you were regular. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. always something about George Michael that gets on my wick. Yeah. This week it is the business. But also, the piano. without be, as well as being clearly stupid, clearly stupid thing to do, it kind of is not really fitting with the spirit of the times, is it, Dave? Because what are we supposed to be doing now? Not flying heavy, useless objects <laughs> around the world yeah. pointlessly. And I believe George might even be telling us that we should, uh, you know, turn our tellies off. Not a thermostat stat down a couple of notches. And maybe cut back on our piano flight bills, you know, for the planet. Actually, to be honest, about the though, planet. do you think he has any real fondness for that piano? Because, I mean, you know the story, don't you? I think you alluded to it earlier. What, is it out of he tune? Thought, no, he thought he was buying the piano. That the white one? In the, the white one in, in, in Tittenhurst Park. So a video for Imagine. It's, it's London it's Bridge. Like it's London Bridge. It's London Bridge. Bridge. Over again. not London Bridge. Piano. It's not London Bridge. It's yeah. just, and it's a little tiny upright piano with a couple of very bad burn marks on the side. Yeah. Probably supplied by George Mike. Before going off from one of his driving exploits. <laughs> what? For God's sake, edit that out. That's ludicrous. But it's also it's also leading me by association into yes. getting cross about why do pop stars keep bleating on about peace? But, uh, it's, um, the, it's the fault of the Beatles, Dave. Those <laughs> things are. I think it's the Beatles' fault. I mean, for God's sake. As if the rest of us hadn't realised that peace was a desirable state. They've got to raise awareness of it, Dave. But uh, well, most of us will be out killing been people this a million day. times. There are lots of people who only do things if rock tells them to do it. Yes. Come on, <laughs> that's true. Yes. We had this. We had this in the office last week. We we're talking about Go global on. warming. There are people yeah. who think global warming is a big old laugh. Leave the lights on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah the f- burn the fossil fuels. But at the moment, you know, Richie, you know, member of, uh, you know, whoever the other killers gets up and tells them to stop doing it, they immediately stop doing it. That's the way it goes. It doesn't appear to work, though, does it? I mean, because it's, what is it, 40 years since all you need is love. And, you know, it's not happening, is it, really? No, it's not happening. <laughs> it's not an effective, Wait. you know, if they researched, you know, the, the, the effectiveness of their campaign against war in the last 40 years, it's kind of not worked, has it? It, it kind of hasn't worked. In fact, some, some would say that people's attitudes to war have got more enthusiastic in the ensuing 40 years. There's every indication of that. But maybe you've got to look at it from the other side of the fence, Dave. It's easy for you to say, why are rock stars bleating on about peace? If you're a rock star, what are you going to write about? You can only write so many songs about love. You can only write... Duke Prague away kit so many times, can't you? Yeah. You've got to have, you've got to have your reservoir of themes, and peace is always a good one. People like to hear about it. Oh right, or do they? Well, I, there are, there I hate th- hearing about it. I've enjoyed this. Andrew has taking up a, a, a you know the opposing position here. Uh, yeah, but Dave. Well, let's, let's let's be honest. Most songs, people don't really care what they're about, do they? It's stuff to groove to. It's on the radio. Some of my favourite songs. I don't really know what they're about. I don't really care. No, that's true. No, that's true. But there are certain musicians that you you, you have a su- sufficient interest in to, to to want to know. You think it is that them? Yeah. Are, you know, plumbing the depths of their own. Song. Yeah, but is it the majority? Leonard Leonard Cohen, our current cover star. Little plug in there. I think I'm, I'm fascinated by what yes. you have to write about because clearly it is. Uh, you well, know, they are the, the minority. They are the minority. They are the minority. Most people who are interesting in that way don't have to sing about the off-the-peg subjects such as peace. 
because they're interesting enough. They've got stuff yeah. to, to sing about. Most of my favourite bands, I don't think I've ever done a song about peace. I think they don't ever do something. I tell you what else there is here that, that, that interests me is I think there's always a load of subjects that uh, they never write songs about mm. that people are nonetheless fascinated by and talk about. Yeah, like uh, mortgages and tax relief. Absolutely. And stuff. Company cars. Yes. <laughs> house price inflation. Restaurants. Teenagers who don't tidy their rooms. Smoking yeah. in pubs. Yeah. Horrible. These are all the things that people talk about in life, aren't they? Yeah, you, know, you know who sings, so about, you know, sings about that kind of stuff? Well, not, not kind of tax relief and stuff like that, but. The great half man, half biscuit. Yes, have okay. a great new song as yet unrecorded. I saw them do it in Manchester a couple of months ago. It's called "Blue Badge Abuser," about people who abuse disabled parking badges. Oh. That is a burning issue. It that is. is a hot topic. I want to hear music. I don't want to hear George Michael's song about shooting the dog. I want to hear "Blue Badge Abuser." And do you know what? We should have slightly, slightly less ecology songs and a few more songs about littering. <laughs> yes, it, it's true. Yes, yes. Because that's something that affects everybody every bloody day. You got some yeah. clown driving past you on the Penderville yeah. Road, chucking a McDonald's cart now. You know, All right, you I, want you, shoot? I want you to select, like, right, in this, in this wonderful, idealised fantasy world, I want you to select the pop star that you choose to do the anti littering anthem. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to make us all stop chucking our, you know... Morrissey. 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 Morrissey, Morrissey there's your challenge. Morrissey yes. could do that. This Morrissey could, can. It's, yeah. our, it's our Eurovision entry for next year. Yeah. Is we, it's yeah. We keep Europe clean yeah. With, yeah. with Morrissey. See, Pick but, it up. Keep but, Europe tidy. My, yeah. my good friend and word reader, David, uh, who's a big Morrissey fan, was watching uh, an old film from the 50s which contained some samples of, uh, that appear on Morrissey records. And he said, the one thing that really surprised you about Britain in the 50s with its terrible poverty and its incipient racism and all the rest of it... It was really clean. Everybody was really clean. Maybe Morrissey, with his connection to this sort of sepia-tinted early 50s world, he's the man. It all started you know, in the 70s, you know. Have you ever seen the film Anchorman? As you have, David, you don't like it. <laughs> Anchorman is hilarious. It's all the way through it. The four main characters litter. Whenever they yeah. walk anywhere outside, they just throw away. Oh, right, and Will Ferrell. Yeah. And Will Ferrell is absolutely well, great. Bill, Bill, yeah, constantly throwing it. You see, I think it was tidier in the 50s and the early 60s, but that's largely because people didn't have as much stuff. <laughs> yes, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Away. I'm not going to throw that used tissue away. I'm not going to throw that can away. I could probably plant well, flowers way, in that. Yeah. I mean, there simply wasn't the packaging that there is that there is now. To, you know, this is pretty... But anyway, that's a challenge. rock and roll podcast, we've gone on to the conscience. If young people are literate. Go on, you rock bands, songwriters, listening, you know, there's your challenge. It's yeah. the word anti-litter song. Yeah. You know, we'll support it, won't we? Okay, you know, as yeah. far as I'm concerned, roadside shootings for people who who, who litter. Yeah. People who throw <laughs> things out of bloody cars. Who do they think is going to pick it up? Um, the contempt in that gesture. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm serious. Not sure. Listeners, Dave's da- there's a vein standing out of Dave's <laughs> yeah. neck now, like like a like a drain yeah. pipe. So talking and of change to a rich purple colour. The word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Talking of litter, seamlessly we move forward. We're moving into the very centre of the rock festival season, aren't we? <laughs> oh, yeah. You guys, we've got an amazing rubbish factoid, haven't we, about Glastonbury? Oh yeah, go about on. It's rubbish, rubbish and litter. Go on. The year that the fence went down in Glastonbury, they had no real way of gauging how many people had got in. They had no idea because the fence had been, you know, breached and all the rest of it before they put the big Ministry of Defence super fence in there. And the only way they could gauge it was by working out that the previous year, when they'd had what was one hundred and thirty thousand people in, it had produced six hundred tons of litter. This year they had 1,100 tons of litter and they extrapolated it and that's how they worked out how many humans were here. Humans were here because they left a big load of crap lying around. 
So we're coming towards that. You guys are off to Glastonbury soon. Oh, yes. Uh, the entire office is going. And we've got Cornbury coming up as well. So you guys are the experienced hands here. So what are the things that you always take? Uh, Volavons. Yeah, I take Volavons. Yeah. I take ice. It doesn't last very long. Yeah. Mark takes uh, a cocktail sausage party. rolls. Yeah. <laughs> I have no, a cocktail no party. Stops. I have to say, seriously, it's known as the champagne reception. The first one was in 1991. Do you remember? Yeah, it was great. Select magazine. And we had a bottle hey. of champagne, uh, a packet of Monster Munch, and we had two or three old uh, tooth mugs. And uh, we had a little party, and a huge number of people turned up. It was a massive success. Only lasted an hour. So next year we had a slightly bigger one. Do you remember? Yeah. About three or four. And it's continued like a and tradition. Got, yeah, yeah. And now there's, uh, there's I don't know, all sorts of things. There's, uh, you know, there's petit fours, and, you know, there's uh, yeah. biscuits. How and, do you, you know. get petit fours? No, because my friend John, literally, is probably working on it now. He makes little <laughs> yeah. sausage rolls. Last year, he made something involving blue cheese and celery. And I, I tell you, by the time that had been in my tent for 48 hours, <laughs> yeah. it was ripe enough to... So when it went in, ripe it, it was baby. 100,000 yeah. tons of litter, I think, actually. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So if, you, if you're yeah. at Glastonbury this year and you're angling for an invitation to Mark Ellis' cocktail party, just sniff the wind and you can yeah. simply yeah. find Follow the... Yeah, blue cheese. <laughs> things that you have to take to rock festivals, right? Indispensable black bin bags. They're multi-purpose. If it rains, they're a Mac. Uh, you can take away your tons of rubbish in them. Absolutely. You can insulate yourself, all yeah. kinds of stuff. Um, save as many large Evian bottles as you can because that's what you want to decant your vodka into and then top it up with... Tonic water because they won't let you take glass bottles in anymore. It's a trade secret you're giving away. Is no, it? No, 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 no. They, no, they don't mind you doing shaking it. Shaking by the ankles. No, they don't, <laughs> they don't mind you, you doing it. You know, water, not a big one. Yeah, a big bottle. Full yeah. of vodka and tonic. Yeah, it's got last of the weekend. Very nice. And oh, if you put that outside your tent, you lose a little bit of its tang. <laughs> it's Glastonbury. It's Glastonbury. I don't think James Bond would be, uh, you know, sipping that. Well, he's not going to go to Glastonbury anyway. Actually, Shirley Bassey's on, so he might want to go. But so you take them. You would also take, obviously, lots of toilet tissue and wet wipes is important. I, for some reason, I always take an iPod, but that's because I feel really bad without an iPod, no matter where. And obviously, there's no shortage of music in Glastonbury. Um, what else? What else do you have to say? It's a lot of, you actually take an iPod. So if you're, if you're stuck in the middle of a crowd and you can't get out, and somebody will say, you don't want to just simply just yeah. stick them in Andrew your ears. just likes having headphones. Listen, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't else. care whether that's an great. iPod at the other yeah, end. Yeah. yeah. What do you take, Mark? I think it's a, that's about it, isn't it? Binoculars, yeah. occasionally, I don't know, shooting stick? No, not quite. But, uh, well, actually, a collapsible chair is always collapsible good. Chair a good a good collapsible rooms. chair that can fit on your back. It's a good room. You will be so happy. Because of your lumbar regions. Wellington Boots is absolutely crucial. People who yeah. set off to rock festivals in a pair of espadrilles have a very, very bad experience. Well, they, they, they've, either, they've either got that or they've got like, a rock star boyfriend. Son, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. it was. <laughs> and if he's listening, this Thomas, was, you may remember. This was yeah. one of those rare occasions where a teenager learnt overnight, wasn't it? That you, you I, told kept, them, I kept you said, the text message from wellies. my eldest son for years on my phone. And she said, oh my God, Dad, that will save my life. I tell him a text, I've got your supplies, 13 wellies. Meet me at the, you know... No, but you'd said thing. to him beforehand, take your wellies. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He'd said, oh, I'm taking my wellies. Yes. No, well, no, look really stupid. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, like, yeah, you you approached with wellies, really tears <laughs> rolling he, down. And he had yeah. never been more grateful. It ought to be Everything I've ever said since, he just you know, acts by that. When, 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 yeah. uh, when I used to drive a van for Selected Glastonbury, we used to go down by the Hammersmith uh, roundabout, and you'd always see kids queuing up, and we'd occasionally pick up hitchhikers, and they were always wearing, like... Chuck Taylors, or you know, just some slip-ons or something that was cool, you know. And within a, like within hours, you would just you know the mud had leached up to their groin yeah. level, and they'd be shambling through yeah. it, and there's nothing left on their feet at all. We had gone looking like farmers and felt great, yeah. you yeah, know, yeah. big green wellies, 
Footwear is the solution the, to all problems with the weather, isn't it? Do you remember the van that used to have a mix mag? It was an old ice cream van. The ice cream van. Mr. Mr. Trippy. Mr. Trippy, yeah. <laughs> it was called Mr. Do you need the mix mag? Can we just talk about this? Seriously. <laughs> yeah, that's just a title mix mag. is published by the same company here, Development Hell. Yeah. And we have this ice cream we van do. still. Yeah. In, when we when we bought Mix Mag, we <laughs> as part of the valuation <laughs> as part of the valuation the deal was, breaker <laughs> was a bunch of back issues, you know, a lock up full of old promotional CDs yeah. and a, a one an ice cream van. Ice and cream Jerry van. Perkins went up to look at it only yeah. the other week. It's still it. up there. Well it has no value, no value at all. It's Comedy value. Yeah. It hasn't, it hasn't been driven anywhere for years. But listen, if there's anybody listening <laughs> Yeah. It has got rats living in it, you know. Who <laughs> wants an ice cream van? Because when we when we when we first were landed with this about eighteen months ago, what, yeah, I said to Jerry, "We can flog this. There'll be a few quid in this. We flog an ice cream van." And I go home and have a look at eBay. It's the largest category on eBay is yeah. ice cream vans. That's because thousands. That's because Mixmag made it cool. <laughs> we, we made it cool. You know, also, that ice cream man is unique because the, the little chimes have been ro- reprogrammed to play Voodoo Ray and all that acid house hits oh, well, that's to bring useful. the kids streaming over the mountaintops, <laughs> you know, for some ice cream with a special flake in it. What's the, what's the story? It's the famous story about Danny Baker and the ice cream van. I don't remember Danny Baker. Oh, oh, somebody rang up Danny Baker once and said that his parents used to, used to tell him when he was a child that when the, the the van came down the road with the chimes going, it meant, it meant they'd run out of one screen. Ah! <laughs> that is pretty brilliant. That is so cruel. It's the meanest thing ever. If he was an American, he would have sued his parents. <laughs> I'd be sitting on a, on, a, on a chat show sofa right now, <laughs> wheezing about it. I've heard that God from more than one place, actually. I think that, that calls on. It means that it's it's the story people say for ringing up for radio programs, yeah. isn't it? That so, is uh, well, we, we, uh, we've, we've probably we've probably been through the uh, the card for this uh, for this week. You've yeah. got, you guys have got to go and uh, and pack your bags. And yeah, be, we we be we, heading for Glasgow. We have, but we, we just got time for week. we just got time for the horror, <laughs> the hoary old rocket. We're going to lift Mark up over our shoulders. Come and, on uh, and this week, it's uh, it's over to you, Mark. Can I remember this? You want me to do... Yeah, I can't tell you who it is. I can't tell you who it is. No, you can't. This is the one that happened to you at a, at a, at a, a literary at a, dinner. At a dinner. A literary dinner about two years ago. Orange, I think it was, sponsored a, a literary prize. And uh, a mate of mine who runs the Hay Festival was organising a, a literary dinner. Uh, in in honour of Hanif Karishi, who had a new book out. And for some... God alone knows why. For some reason, they asked me, which is very nice. They're actually Word magazine. They're very, very thick with us. So I turn up on this thing, and there's all sorts of people there of high-ranking literary types. And I you know, get down the table, and I've got opposite me a tremendous chap who is the scriptwriter for the James Bond films called Robert Wade. Very, very uh, amusing character. And next to me, I have ominously a, an empty chair. I have no idea who's going to occupy this. And I'm, I'm absolutely Hank Marvel. And I'm just thinking, I'm just, be, I can eat a horse. You always are. Scab your horse Stop. between two bread vans. <laughs> Rain its horns off, slap it on the plate. No, I just said... No, you know, do all your food jokes. No, the food jokes. Go on, do your food jokes. We used to have this guy who worked to smash it. It's called Rod Sob. Can we talk about Rod? Rod Sob. <laughs> it was the advertising guy at Rod Sob. And I'm sorry if there's any vegetarians listening, but this still amuses me. And Rob used to go to the restaurant with Rod, do you remember? He always used to order a rare steak so he could do his gag. I said, how do you like your steak, sir? Instead of saying rare, he'd say, just break his horns off, wipe his arse, just slap it on the plate. 
And when the steak arrived, not three minutes later, he would lean forward in a kind of mock comic way. Do you remember? His, his eyebrows would shoot together in consternation and say, do I hear lowing? <laughs> He'd say, oh, dear, oh, dear, Henry. Uh, a good vet could have that on his feet in ten minutes. <laughs> but anyway, oh. so I'm at this thing and I'm absolutely starving. I look down at the thing and I thought, I feel very un-PC. I'm going to order the pate de foie gras. I don't care enough for that. I'm going to have a rare steak. I'm sorry again, vegetarians listening. That's what I went for. Do you think we should so, tell, say for the benefit of those people who are not into the minutiae of food, what is involved in pate de foie, de foie gras? I'll come on to that in a oh, moment. Okay, so I'll come on to right. that because it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, the, the manufacturing methods have been questioned for centuries. You know, <laughs> But I certainly wasn't questioning it this particular night because I was Hank Marvin. Anyway, so at this point, I've no idea who's going to sit next to me. A little tiny bowl. Oh, who will it be? A little tiny bowl. <laughs> super eye. And I'm a bit nervous about thinking it's probably going to be some author whose novel I haven't read and who won't have read my magazine and we're going to have to kind of stumble through the whole thing. Anyway, doors, double doors, bang open and beetling across the room with the old uh, fringe over her, I can't see her eyes, is Chrissy Hines. Hey! And I look around. Where's she going to sit, Mark? Where's she going to sit? Beads of perspiration break out of my brow. I think she can't sit next to me because I just ordered that. And of course, there's only one seat. Chrissy Hines comes down, flags herself down, Hi, how are you doing? You know, I know her and I've interviewed her. We get on fine. First thing she looks at this soup. She says, has this got meat in it? <laughs> she doesn't say hello to anybody. She looks at the little tiny bowl of soup. And says, I said, you know, Chrissy, I've actually got no idea at all. I said, find out. So I said... You find out? Yeah, find out. So I go, OK. Did you have your waiter outfit on at the time? <laughs> no, I, so I, so I go, sorry. Well, you know, I, so I flag down the head waiter and say, sorry to bother you. Um, Chrissy, you're not a big fan of... Um, Meat products of, of any kind at all. <laughs> That's putting Can it you possibly? I'm trying to semaphore. Can you change my order? But I can't quite get it across. Yeah. I said, "Is there any, you know, chicken?" So I said, "A little, little bit of chicken." So I said, "Chrissy," and she pushes this bowl away as if it was radioactive. <laughs> she, you know, literally, she stiffens. I thought, "I'm, I'm in big, pro- big trouble now." Because that's her reaction to a tiny bit of chicken stock. Let's not forget that pate de foie gras is produced by the over-distended livers of, uh, of slightly overfed geese. And at this point, I, I'm starting to imagine how could this possibly get worse? Apart from a small flotilla of geese themselves parading yeah. out of the kitchen with a big sign saying, my uncle and my aunt have been needlessly murdered in order to provide yeah, a start that, that guy over this there. Guy. So anyway, Chrissy Hyde is talking geese to murder. a very nice guy from Esquire magazine. So I'm, she, she's distracted. I've got about... A two-minute window. Can you eat it really Two quick? minutes. No, it hasn't arrived. Yes, stuff it in my pocket. You know. Set, pour it into a pot plant. I've got two minutes. I've got two minutes. Pot plant dies. What's that? Yeah. So opposite me is this terrific guy, Robert Wade, who's a massively likable fellow and a bit of a bit of a bit of a player. He's got a, a Rolex sweater on. He's got a, and he's got a, a you know a, a high tar cigarette on the go, as you might imagine. So Robert, quickly. You've got to help me out. Bad things happen. Said, no, tell me all. Dear boy, what's up? Chrissy Hyde, uh, I can't even speak. I haven't such a state. I've ordered the bad egg of And worse, after that fucking great ribeye steak, <laughs> literally bleeding. <laughs> Do I hear lowing? Don't start that. We haven't got time for that. We've got problems here. Chrissy Hyde said next to me. What are you saying? He said to me, he said literally his words, old boy. Leave it to me. <laughs> and I sat back, I just raised my glass of red wine. I thought, I don't know what he's going to do, but this guy is literally going to save the day. He's come charging in on a white horse. Everything's going to be fine. Sure enough, the waiter comes out <laughs> two minutes later and he's got a tray. And I can see at the front an enormous, great, steaming, pyramidic mound of, of, of pate de foie gras. I think, oh God, Robert, weave your magic, do your thing. And he goes, is that the pate de foie gras? I think you'll find it's for our gentleman just here. <laughs> oh, God. And yes, he does. 
standing up and pointing at me. So it slapped down in front of me, at which point Chrissy Hyde simply takes one look at this, spins, turns her back to me, doesn't address another look to me all evening. That's the end of it, there's nothing else to say. Yeah, so at that point... So I it wasn't all bad, then? It was. <laughs> oh. oh, no. But can you imagine the agony? Can you imagine that empty chair? Who could possibly fill it? Who would be the worst person? Oh, she This is a woman, yeah. this is a woman, much like, I have Actually. to say, I absolutely love the girl and I love her music and all that stuff, but this is a woman who I had interviewed not a month beforehand and told me how she had chained herself to a radiator in a prison demonstrating against the fur trade. I yeah. mean, she felt quite strongly about it, Dave. Yeah. She, she once said, you should be a prostitute before you're a butcher. Really? I was very annoyed about oh, that. Well, you, you coming from a, a legendary family of little puddling butchers would have taken that very badly. Where, where does she stand on litter? That's what we want to know. Yeah, oh, she probably thinks it's great. Chrissy, forget all that. Do, do our litter song. Mm. That's what we need. Do you yeah. think we can get sponsorship from the anti-litter? I think we should be. We want a song called Keep Britain Tidy. Yeah. Just start with that. Well, that's that's title. That, that actually does sound like a Morrissey song. It does. Keep Britain Tidy. It's a good album title, yeah. doesn't it? Bin it, let's win it. Pick it up. You know. do loads of Morrissey song albums. Keep Britain Boner. That's what you want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can imagine a Morrissey album called Don't Run With Scissors, couldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> All those old safety Don't things. Don't Run With Scissors, Albert. Yes. Green Cross Code. Yeah. Yes. Okay, well, uh, that's about all we've got time for, as they say in radio, but it doesn't apply in the in the world of bottomless, bottomless inventory. Well, you we're can in quack there. on forever. Quack <laughs> on forever. But uh, if you want to know anything more about the magazine, uh, website wordmagazine.co.uk. Please leave us some feedback, uh, anything you care for us to discuss, any suggestions. Uh, we'd be more than happy to hear them. Thanks very much for listening. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Thank you.